Father, Lord, as we are here in your house and we just talked about the sacredness of this place. Lord, we know it's not the church building that makes it sacred. It's not the sheetrock and, and wood and brick. But Lord, this is a place that is holy because you're here. Lord, we ask that it would not just be this place it is holy, but Lord, as we leave this church building, that you would come with us and that we would invite you to come with us, that you would dwell in us, that Lord, our bodies and our minds would become a place where you dwell as well. Father, we plead and we pray that your spirit would be here in extra measure today. We, we pray in your Holy Spirit's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, a couple weeks ago, right now we're going through the life of Jesus, especially the final hours. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about something very interesting. We talked about Jesus warning his disciples about what was to take place. You remember that? Jesus was constantly warning his disciples that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to be betrayed, that all these things were going to happen to him. But more often than not, in fact, if not 100% of the time, did the disciples listen? They didn't, did they? Over and over again, they missed the entire point. If you would, um, go with me to Matthew chapter 20 here very quickly. Matthew chapter 20. I want to just review here for just a brief moment. Matthew chapter 20. Look what happens here in verse 17. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 17. This is what we talked about a couple weeks ago, just to bring us up to speed here. Matthew chapter 20, verse 17, it says, And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said to them. So he took the disciples and he pulled them aside privately, right? So the disciples are there because what Jesus is about to say, the Pharisees would like to catch him saying because it would be blasphemy according to them. But notice what it says here in verse 18. Behold, this is Jesus talking, we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed unto the chief priests, unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him up to the Gentiles to mock, to scourge, to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. He just dropped a bombshell, didn't he? He had mentioned in times past what was going to happen. He had mentioned the prophecies of Isaiah. He had mentioned the prophecies of Daniel. He had mentioned that he was the son of God that was to come to die to take away the sins of the world. But at this point in time, he takes the disciples aside and without any symbolism, without any flowery language, he sets them down and says, look, let me talk plainly. In a few days, one of you is going to betray me I'm going to get beaten, and I'm going to die. And in three days, I'll rise up again. Now, that should have set the disciples to talking about what was going to take place, right? They should have been shocked. They should have been questioning. But the Bible doesn't mention the disciples saying anything. In fact, if you look at Ellen White's writings right after this takes place, it says that Jesus could scarcely stop to take a breath before we see what happens here in the next verse. Look what the disciples answer with. In verse 20, we see these disciples and their mother. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and wanting a certain thing. And he said to her, what wilt thou or what do you want? And this is what the disciples answered Jesus knew with. She said unto him, grant that these my two sons may sit with you on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. 
Jesus just announced to his faithful followers, his 12, that he was going to be crucified for their sins and all of humanity. And the very next thing that the disciples asked Jesus, he had barely taken a breath, was who's going to be greatest in your kingdom? In fact, in the book of Luke, when it's going over this time period, it says that there was strife amongst the disciples. My friends, I don't want there to be any strife amongst us today. Amen. You know, so often we are so worried about position, whether it be position on this earth at our job, whether it's position in the church, maybe it's even position in heaven like the disciples were thinking about. I don't know. But did the disciples completely miss the point? They did. And because the disciples completely missed the point, they were not ready. The reason that Jesus knew that his time was come was because, we discovered this a few weeks ago, he had been reading the scriptures and he had been in communication with his father. Do you remember that? My friends, today we're about to go through a trial. We're about ready to come through a time of tribulation that we had better be ready for, wouldn't you say? Take with me to our theme verse here for this series. Go to Revelation 14. Revelation 14 and verse 4. This is the theme for this week and the next two weeks as well. Revelation 14, 4, this should be familiar to you, but this is the call of God unto us. Talking about the 144,000, of course, talking about virgins in the spiritual sense, which meaning they were spiritually pure. But notice what it says here. Revelation 14, 4, these are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Now, this is the part. These are they which follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Amen. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Now, I don't know about you, but how many of you want to follow the Lamb into heaven? Amen. How many of you want to follow the Lamb into the new earth? Amen. Now, here's another thing I want to ask you. How many of you want to follow the Lamb through betrayal? How many of you want to follow the Lamb through persecution? How many of you want to follow the Lamb through Gethsemane? And to the cross. We're so ready. We're so willing to say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you to your second coming. When you come down to get us, I'm ready. Let's go. But like the disciples, the disciples were ready for the victory, but they forgot there was a trial beforehand, didn't they? Jesus knew that there was a trial coming. And so he went through an experience. He went through a time, perhaps one of the most climactic time in earth's history, to make sure that he would stand during the time of trial, and yes, even the cross. We call that place Gethsemane. When you take a look at the word Gethsemane, the word means to be crushed. Did you know that? That area there was known to be a place where there was lots of olives, and during, around that place of Gethsemane is where they would take the olives and they would crush it to make olive oil. Did you know that? When Jesus was there in the garden of Gethsemane, he was literally and spiritually being crushed by a very heavy weight. Let's look into that today because the scripture is very clear on what takes place here. Go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. 
Jesus has just told Peter that he would deny him three times. And then let's see what takes place. There's only 11 disciples left. Verse 36, Then comes Jesus with them to a place called Gethsemane and said unto the disciples, Sit here while I go and I pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, John being among them, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he to them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even to death. Tarry you here and watch with me. I want to stop right there for just a moment. As Jesus knows that this trial is going to begin, as Jesus begins to feel something that he has never felt before, now think about this for a moment. When we sin today, there's a measure of guilt that we receive when we sin, right? For some of us more than others. But would you say that it's true that often the more you sin, the more callous to sin you get? That's true. I'm a little callous to sin. Jesus had never experienced what sin felt like before. He had no idea. Jesus never had known what it was like to be separated from his father. Jesus had never succumbed to temptation. He didn't know what guilt felt like. And as the sins of you and the sins of your pastor and the sins of all of us in this world, as they began to be placed upon the shoulders of the Son of God there in Gethsemane, he knew that his time was at hand. And as these sins began to be piled upon his shoulder, and as he could sense that his father was soon going to have to turn his face from him because he could not look upon sin, as Jesus said right there, it began to crush him even unto death. Jesus right then and there could have died in Gethsemane. But it wasn't his time because he was to be made a public example for all. So Jesus, knowing that his trial was coming, looked at his disciples, looked at his closest friends, his closest three, and says, stay right there. I'm going to go pray a little while over there. Please pray with me because I need your help. I'm about ready to die. Notice, Peter had just said a couple verses ago, Lord, I'll die for you, man, didn't he? If you be crucified, I'll be crucified right next to you. He was ready to go. He was zealous. But as we see here in these scriptures, as we read on, Peter, the one that thought he would die with Jesus, couldn't even stay awake for an hour. Let's read where we left off. Verse 36. Then comes Jesus with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray. Now let's go down to verse 39. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We'll talk about that in a minute. And he comes unto the disciples and finds them asleep and said to Peter, What? 
Could you not watch with me one hour? This time frame was around 9 o'clock at night to about midnight, just so you know. Verse 41, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that betrays me. There's a lot there. There's a few things I'd like to point out that are pretty obvious. But there's also a few things that maybe you hadn't thought about before. But as Jesus was there from around 9 o'clock that night to about midnight, he was in prayer. It doesn't take you very long in this life to be able to see some hardships coming a mile away. Have you ever been planning or thinking about what's going to be taking place in the future and you can just, you can just tell that there's some trials coming across the horizon? Like you see, some th- you see some dark clouds coming in, you know there's going to be a thunderstorm that's going to hit. Sometimes we look across our, when we start trying to think about our future, what's going to take place in the next couple of years, sometimes we go, man, there's going to be some bumpy roads right there. Sometimes you don't see them coming, but you know they're going to be there anyway. Jesus knew that the greatest trial in the history of the universe was about ready to take place, and nobody had to come to Jesus and put their arm around the Son of God and say, you know, Lord, you're going to be going through a really tough trial. You might want to get on your knees and pray about it. Why? It was obvious to Jesus. When Jesus saw that trial approaching, he knew that he wasn't going to make it unless he was strengthened by his Father. Would you agree with that? So Jesus, knowing that all this was going to take place, willingly went to the Garden of Gethsemane because he knew that if he did not have communication with his Father, if he did not have prayer with his Father, it was a whole lot more likely that he wouldn't be able to stand. And my friends, today I dare say that if Jesus would have not had that Gethsemane experience, the plan of salvation may have not worked. If Jesus would have not been strengthened by his Father, he may not have been strong enough. My friends, if Jesus is not strong enough without prayer, why do we think that we will be strong enough? As Jesus was there, notice his prayer to his father. He said, Lord, if there's any other way that humanity can have salvation, if there's any other plan, if there's any other cup that I can drink except for this one, if it's possible, can we take that, can we take that route? Please let this, pass, this cup pass from me. He said it twice. Lord, please let this cup pass. But then at the end of it, he said something. Not as I will, but as whose will? But as your will be done. A couple things 
from that. When you're on your knees in prayer to your Heavenly Father and you're in the midst of a trial, is it okay to ask the Lord to please let that trial pass away from you? Absolutely. Sometimes we're in the midst of a temptation or in the midst of a trial and you seem like you're about to buckle and break and you pray to the Lord, say, you can, it's all right to say, Lord, please, this is more that I can bear. Let it pass from me. And you know what? Sometimes if it's God's will, he will let that trial simply pass away. But not all the time. My friends, there's some hope in this. God will not always let your trial pass away from you. But God will always give you the strength to pass through that trial. Can you gain comfort in that? God's not always going to let the problem just run away from you. But when you have to go right through the face of that trial, God guarantees that he will give you the strength to get through it if you ask him. But what was in this cup that Jesus was about ready to drink? Yes, we know it was the sin of humanity. Yes, we know it was all of our guilt. But what else? Turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16, verse 1. This is powerful here. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 1. Notice what it says. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways, pour out the vials of wrath of God upon the earth. And after that, there goes the seven last plagues. My friends, the cup that Jesus was drinking right then and there, the reason that Christ drank that cup, and I'm going to get very clear here, and I don't want to be mistaken, because we as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we believe that hell doesn't burn forever. Someone should say amen to that. But friends, in that, we also do still remember that there is going to be a time where hell will be burning for a short period. I say that to say this. Jesus drank of that cup so that you would not have to feel the heat of hell. Jesus drank of that cup so that you would not have to experience the seven last plagues. Jesus drank of that cup so that your name would not be erased for all of eternity. Jesus drank of that cup so that you could live on in a perfect world forever. That's why Jesus drank that cup. But it wasn't fun. Before Jesus was able to come back in grandeur, which we're looking forward on that second coming, before he could come back as a king, he had to go through some trial and persecution. So often we say, we're so looking forward to Jesus coming, we have to be ready for Jesus coming, but I believe that's a little inaccurate. We have to be ready for Jesus coming, but we have to be ready long before that. Before Jesus comes, we have to be ready for the tribulation. Before Jesus comes, we have to be ready for that last days or the last trial. There's lots of words that you could say it, but my friends, let's be honest. Not all of us are going to make it to the last days. Not all of us are going to make it through the times of tribulations. Could it be that some of us in this church today are going through that time of tribulation right now? Could it be that right now you are being tested? 
could it be that today is your hour? There's no argument that there's going to come a time where you're tested to where it seems like you're not going to be able to stand anymore. There's going to come that time. If it hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen. Maybe it's already taken place. I don't know. But in order for us to stand there, we have to have a Gethsemane experience now. What Matthew doesn't tell us, but Luke does, because he's a physician, was that as Jesus there was wrestling with his father, and I use that word wrestle accurately, when Jesus was wrestling with his father, and he was in agony in that prayer, he was being crushed so much and overwhelmed that he was literally sweating blood from his pores. Now, there's a few accounts of sweating blood happening in the medical community today. It's very extremely rare. There's only a few cases of that. But those that have actually sweated blood only live but a few minutes afterwards. Jesus was at the point of death right there in Gethsemane. And God had to strengthen him so that he could go on. My friends, today, as we're being in a time of testing now, and as the time of testing will grow greater and greater, when the time of testing grows greater, our time of strengthening must be greater. Be ready today. Something else that's not quite, well, it's not, something else that's obvious were the disciples. As we mentioned earlier, Peter was very charismatic and he was the one that spoke for the rest of the disciples there, except for Judas, because Judas was gone. When Peter said, Lord, I'll die for you. Lord, when you are led away to the crucifixion, I'm there. Peter said it, but the next verse goes on to say that all the other disciples said the same thing as Peter did. All the disciples were there and said, yes, Lord, we'll be with you to that time of tribulation. We won't leave your side. But when it was time for them to gain strength like Jesus was in that garden of Gethsemane there, what were they doing? They were fast asleep. Jesus went back and woke them up out of mercy and said, could you not pray with me for one hour? It's a whole lot easier to pray for one hour than to be crucified, isn't it? He went back to pray came back again, saw his disciples asleep, and he didn't even bother to wake them up. As he came back the third time, he looked at his disciples, and just imagine being Peter or John, James there for just a moment, but as Jesus shakes them awake and says, go ahead and sleep for the times at hand. After that Gethsemane experience, Jesus was able to go and boldly meet that mob without an ounce of fear. But this story reminds me of another one. We're not going to go there today. But you remember the ten virgins that Jesus talked about, right? That parable, there were ten virgins. There were five foolish. There were five wise. Some brought extra oil. The others didn't. The bridegroom tarried. And while the bridegroom tarried, my friends, the foolish virgins were sleeping. But yes, what were the wise ones doing as well? All ten of them 
fast asleep. My friends, we're in the time periods of earth's history right now where the bridegroom is on his way. We're in the time of history right now where we need to be like the disciples we're called to do, to watch and pray. Praise the Lord that Peter did keep his word years later. The Bible doesn't tell us this, but Peter was crucified later on in his life, wasn't he? Peter did die a martyr. Historical, rector, historical records tell us, and it's pretty much a proven fact at this point, that Peter was crucified very much like Jesus was, except when he was crucified, he told his crucifiers that he was to be hung upside down because he couldn't take the place of Jesus, and that's what happened. All the other disciples except for John were martyred for their faith. And they stood firm for that. But at this point in earth's history, the disciples weren't ready. And they fled. I want to turn you to another verse here. If you would go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4. My friends, if we think we have that hard when we're standing through a time of tribulation or we're going through a fiery trial, or we're having a difficult time overcoming something, whatever it may be. Hebrews chapter 12, I love this verse. Verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? I love that verse. But verse 3, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Let me ask you, is the life of Jesus and the life of you, do they contradict a little bit? Mine sure has with Jesus in the past. Contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. But verse 4, you have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. My friends, when we think we have it bad, let's look to Jesus. Amen? Because my friends, like the old song says, Jesus had to walk that lonesome valley, didn't he? He had to walk it all by himself. As he was there upon that cross, which we'll go into the next time we meet together, his father could not look upon the sin that was on his son, and it separated them. My friends, when we're going through tribulation and trials today, and as we're, look forward, as we're looking forward to them in the future, we have to remember this, that Jesus has been through them already, amen? That Jesus has conquered them already. And I guarantee you this, if you let Jesus lead you through the trials that you're going through right now or that you will go through in the future, if you let Jesus lead you on, you will be strong. Amen? You're not alone when you're with Jesus. That's the advantage we have that Jesus did not. I want to read you a quote here from early writings. It's page 269. Think about Jesus sweating blood there for a minute. Get that image in your head. Now, read, now listen to this. Talking about us towards the end of time. He says, I saw some with strong faith and agonizing cries pleading with God. Their countenances were pale and marked with deep anxiety, expressive of their eternal struggle. Firmness and great earnestness was expressed in their countenances. Large drops of perspiration fell from their foreheads. Now and then their faces would light up with the marks of God's approbation. And again, the same solemn, earnest, 
anxious look would settle upon them. My friends, we live in a very serious time today. I'm not trying to, trying to rob you of joy, but we need to know where we stand. We need to know where in earth's history that we are. If Jesus coming is soon, then the close of probation is sooner. If Jesus coming is soon, then the time of testing is sooner. We have to be on our knees wrestling with our fathers today to be ready for tomorrow. There's no putting that off. Jesus was finished in Gethsemane and was strengthened by the angel there, which was Gabriel. He woke his disciples. And as they walked, not around that mob, as they walked, not away from that mob, but as he walked towards that mob, head on, Jesus was able to meet that mob that had come to kill him without fear, without any second thought, but with confidence. Why? Because he knew he was standing with his father. And he knew that his father approved of what he was doing. When we look at the disciples who slept, they made a little bit of a ruckus, especially Peter, but they left. I want to close with this thought here. I'm oversimplifying things for the sake of this example. But there are two types of people today. There are Peters and there are Judas. We've all met a Judas before. And maybe you haven't, I don't know. But a Judas is one in my mind's eye, that is one that blatantly rejects Jesus. The one who blatantly laughs at his name. The one that blatantly, carelessly throws around Jesus' name as a swear word. The one who looks at Christians and says that we believe in a fairy tale. Or maybe the ones that believe God is real, but they don't have time. Maybe they claim that he's real, but they live another way. That's a Judas, my friends, and the world's full of them. But we have, a, we have Peter's too. Turn with me if you would. This is our last verse, Luke 22, verse 31. Luke 22 and verse 31. This is Jesus speaking to Simon here only a little time before he's betrayed. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, 
Strengthen my brother. Wait for just a minute. Peter had seen everything. Peter had seen Jesus feed the 5,000. Peter had seen Jesus heal the leper and the deaf and the dumb. Peter had seen with his own two eyes Jesus raise people from the dead. Peter had seen Jesus go toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and maintain a meek spirit. Peter had been walking and talking and close with Jesus for almost three and a half years. And yet, right here, Jesus says, when you are converted, Peter, future. Which means that Peter in that moment wasn't converted yet. Peter thought he was converted. Peter thought that he loved Jesus with all his might, but yet Peter loved Peter more than Jesus. My friends, could it be We talked about Judas, but could it be that we we might be a Peter? We think that we're ready. We think that we're converted. We're so zealous. We're ready to do whatever Jesus asks us, but could it be that we're relying on ourselves more than God? This is what hurts the most. But I believe that Peter caused Jesus more heartache than Judas did. Judas was outright, and Jesus expected that for quite some time. But the one that Jesus labored with for years was still not converted and denied him not once, not twice but three times because he didn't watch and pray. My plea for us today is that we would not follow Judas' example, that we would not be like Peter, having deceived ourselves and thinking that we are converted and yet we're not. But let us follow the example of Jesus, amen? My friends, Just because we're the church of Laodicea does not mean that you have to be asleep. Just because we look at the disciples and they're a type of what God's church is like towards the end of time doesn't mean that you and your family has to be sleeping. Just because the ten virgins were all sleeping, the five foolish and wise, it doesn't mean that you have to be sawing logs today. We need to wake up. We need to realize the times that we're living in. And my friends, my wife and I talk about this often because sometimes it feels like when we go through sermons like this that there isn't a whole lot of joy and there isn't a whole lot of love and there isn't a whole lot of this. But my friends, the reason Jesus tells us this is because he loves us. It might not be the most fun thing to hear. And it might not be the best news that we're going through trials, but he warns us about it ahead of time so that we'll be ready because he does love us. And if you want to hear a gospel that's full, a prosperity gospel that you only hear just nonsense from the pulpit, then you can go anywhere else for that. 
but very few are telling us what is going to be taking place in the latter days. Very few are talking about that we need to be ready now because it's uncomfortable, isn't it? It hurts to hear this kind of stuff. Sometimes it's worrisome to hear this kind of stuff. Sometimes it's convicting to hear this kind of stuff. My friends, I don't want us to be confused. We should have confidence in our salvation. Not confident in ourselves like Peter was, but confident that Jesus has given us salvation. Amen? And confident that Jesus is leading us every step of the way. Today, my friends, as we close, let's have Jesus as our guide and not ourselves. Father, Lord, we want to stay true to what you have done for us. And Lord, the reason you came and died on the cross for us is so that we, when we're going through the time of tribulation, would have hope that you can do it in us if we simply make the decision to fully, to fully follow you wherever you go. Help us now, Lord. May we not follow you kicking and screaming, but gladly follow you ever the step of the way, no matter where it takes us. We pray in your name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.